Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also wanted to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. I hear all the fun stories. We wish we didn't go back to that time. So I remember, um, I remember Amazon packages because Amazon was still hot in 2020. And I just remember we would get packages and there was this huge amount of fear at the time in 2020 that like the people packaging all your items and goods from your 2020 pur- purchases that you would open them up and germs would just fly at you, like all their bacteria, because they would promise two days shipping or less, right? And so we would just think about these germs just living on all of our items. And so I remember we would leave our Amazon boxes outside for like days. And then the thieves were just having like a field day and they're just risking their lives for items and it was all of that. And I also remember, um, for those uh, who may not know, is in Hawaii, that there was this new law that was instituted about two months into COVID. And this law said that um, no public gatherings over five people. So if you're in public and you're with five people, you are done for. Uh, If you're at six or seven, they would come and break it up and they would send you home. And I remember thinking to myself, my family of six, I remember thinking to myself, we're toast. They're after the nuclear family. They're out to get us. We can't hang out anymore. Um, We have to start splitting up. Mom and dad go here. Kids go here. And um, it just felt like it was over. But um, just like in 2020, there's all these things that... um, these things that we can't do, they, that wouldn't work today. If someone were to leave their Amazon packages out for four or five days or disinfect their groceries, people would think we're kind of weird. And if you were out with your friends having a party at the park or something and someone tried to disband you guys, you'd probably call the cops on them. And so uh, there's just some things that were done in the old ways that just won't fit the new anymore. And that brings us as we continue in the book of Luke, we're gonna be in chapter five, verse 33. Um, And Jesus says the same thing to the Pharisees, that there are just some things that used to work back then that are not going to work anymore. The Bible says in verse 33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new one will not even match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be absolutely ruined. And so, no, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, 
And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. And so here we are, we're continuing on, um, we're at this great banquet where Jesus has now called Levi to follow him, and they're now dining at this banquet with tax collectors, others, sinners, as you will, and Jesus shares a parable. And so whenever Jesus shares a parable, that should like immediately light up your light bulb, like I'm going to Jesus' school of theology. It's like time for a teaching moment. It's time to learn to put our thinking caps on. And who here knows that Jesus liked wine? He liked wine. Yeah, not a trick question. No trick questions here. (laughs) He did like wine. He turned water into wine. He's a fan of it. And Jesus is speaking here in a way that was common to everyone. Everyone understood wine. They would have it at their dinner table. They'd have it at the weddings. They'd have it at their feasts. They would have it um, with their guests and enjoy a glass of wine. And so everyone at that time understood how wine was made. And to make it so what they would do is that they would go out into the fields when the season's ready. They would go and harvest these ripe uh, purple grapes. They would bring them down. And then they would crush them on these wine presses. It's kind of like a big, think of like a big circular stone. And they just crush like clusters of grapes and just clusters. And it pours down stones into a jar. Or they would use their feet. Um, But either way it was, that would also help ferment the wine. But what they would do is they would take sheepskins and they would cut off sheepskins and then they would sew them together to form these gourds, as you will. Um, They could be tied around your uh, side. You could have wine to go. And then they would tie them around uh, and do these, uh, they'd be called wineskins. And so what they would do is they'd pour this unfermented grape juice inside of there. And then they would let it ferment. And the thing about the fermenting process is that these gases are released, and it's mixing with the grape skins, and it's starting to expand. So now you have this wine and sheepskin that's that's breathing. It's expanding with the gases, contracting, expanding, contracting, growing in more um, alcohol percentage, as you will, fermenting. But over time, these wineskins that would be used, they would thin out. They would get worn. They would get brittle. They would be overstretched. And so the wineskins would be no longer useful after a batch. And so everyone understood that, that when Jesus was saying that no one would pour new wine into old wineskins, it would just be such a travesty. You would burst open the wineskins, you would ruin the wineskins, and you would pour the wine out on the ground, thus ruining both of them. And so then what's Jesus referring to here when he's talking about these old wineskins and this new wine? He's comparing the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that is to come. And he's referring to the Old Testament law and the Pharisees' legalism. He's telling the Pharisees, essentially, that they are clinging to these old rituals. They're clinging to these old rites. They're clinging to these um, super strict laws of how they did things. And it will not hold up when the new wine comes and the new wine, the Holy Spirit, and the new gospel. And so the new wine is coming, and this is a message of grace and forgiveness, and it is actually incompatible with the Old Testament law. It's incompatible with the way that the Pharisees are doing things. And so we have this dichotomy of old and new. Let me give you an example. If you guys would join me in verse 33 through 35, um, it earlier says that John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. 
And so what the Pharisees essentially are saying that, hey, John's disciples fast and pray, we fast and pray. How come you guys are known for just being gluttonous and drinking and eating all the time? And so it's this idea that the Pharisees are clinging so tightly to fasting. They're clinging so tightly to this, uh, these laws and rules they put around the practice of fasting that they're not even able to see the bridegroom that's in front of them. So in the next slide, so three years ago, I got married. Uh, March 7, 2020. Can you do the math? One week before the world shut down. And just imagine the day. Oh, go back to the other one. Oh, PDA, PDA. Okay. So this is me. This is me before the wedding. This is me before the wedding. Just imagine 250 of your closest friends and family. There's excitement welling up. It's the, it's the day you've always dreamed of. You finally get to kiss your wife and make those vows. You're getting excited. People are flying in from Colorado, from all over the world. And there's this excitement. You're dapping up your boys. It's about to be the guaranteed best day of your life. Okay? And so I remember when the wedding day comes, um, my mom comes up to me, and she taps me on the shoulder, and she says, hey, Kev, um, the first case of COVID just hit the United States two weeks ago. Do you think that we should wear masks and refrain from hugging? And I said, Mom, there is nothing that is going to stop me from hugging all 250 people (laughs) at my wedding. And I said, it's not like it's going to be a global pandemic or anything. (laughs) It's it's not the Black Plague. And so the story is that I can be wrong sometimes, (laughs) um, but Jesus can't. And so uh, if you go to the next slide, it's the complete opposite of six six feet apart. Um, And true story, to this day, Josh Garcia claims that he thinks I had the first case of COVID in Orange County. And I always, to which I always reply to him, I say, you have no proof. Uh, I was very sick the day after, and Kimberly thought she was going to lose her husband. But um, again, Josh has no proof. Um, But anyways, I felt what Jesus had felt. I felt what he had felt when he said, can you make me fast at a wedding, uh, at a wedding feast with all of my friends? And so in the Old Testament, there was two reasons that fasting occurred. First of all, the first reason is we see in the Old Testament that it would be an expression of mourning. It would be when a great nation overtakes uh, the land. It would be uh, an act of repentance. Uh, It would be a time to grieve uh, or mourn. And and think Jonah and Nineveh. When Jonah delivers that message to Nineveh, what did they do next? They they tore their clothes, they put on sackcloth, they fasted and they hit the ground and they repented and they mourned. The second reason that fasting would ever occur is to seek a deeper and sharper focus on God. So it would be refraining from your normal activities, getting away so that uh, getting away from distractions to wholly focus on the Lord. I think uh, an example that we'll do that in is modern day Lent. Um, Another example in Old Testament is when Moses, he would fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he received the Ten Commandments. And so when the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of not fasting in verse 33, Jesus actually replies and says that this would actually be inappropriate time to be fasting. That why would they need to fast when they're in the presence in the company of Jesus at the dining table? Why would they need to mourn or why would they need to focus more on Jesus when they're breaking bread with him right at the table? 
And it really just alludes and points to how the Pharisees and their self-righteousness completely miss Jesus. And, and this goes back to what Jesus was saying earlier, that you can't fit new wine into old wineskins. And so here we have Jesus doing this compare and contrast of the old and the new. We'll go to the next slide. Um, of the old and the new covenant. And in the old covenant, the Jews made these strict laws and traditions and rules where God didn't even command on or never even imposed. And so part of their tradition was to fast two times a week. This was required to be in the Pharisees. Um, so they knew fasting. They did fasting. But in verse 33, it shows that they had missed the whole value of fasting, isn't it? That they saw fasting as a two times a week exercise. It was... It was like a box that was supposed to be checked off. It was like Monday, Tuesday, we fast, and we continue fast, and then we, we hold other people to the same values that we have. And I think about this, though, that they missed the whole true value of fasting in the first place, that the, that the whole point and the whole value of fasting and the aim and goal is Jesus, yet they missed it the whole time. And I wonder if we do this sometimes. That on Sundays at church or um, in worship or during Bible study, uh, worship will just stand, that we can miss the best part, you know. I think about how sometimes we can kind of just show up and we're kind of just going through the motions and we can kind of say, yeah, I went to church, yeah, I went to Bible study, but are we actually fully present? Are we actually wanting to seek Jesus and see him in these spaces to meet him in it? And I wonder what it would look like if we actually showed up. If we went to our Bible studies 10, 15 minutes earlier, and we just asked the Lord that we would be holy and fully present in mind, body, and spirit. That even here today on this Sunday, that we're coming in and we're taking a seat, that we're asking the Lord, would you meet me in your word? Would I get to see more of your glory, your goodness, your will for me uh, in your word today? Would I have open ears to receive what you have? One way I hope, I hope our church can do this is to fast from our phones and from our screen time. And I know that feels like it's a broken record. We've heard it a million times. We know the statistics. We're still going to be on our phones. But I think about how meaningful it would be to Jesus in our relationship with him, what it would look like to unplug, to disconnect, and to get away and just give Jesus this holy, undivided time, and that the rest will take care of itself. You know, at retreat, I'm really excited. I think a good amount of us will be going is we're hoping to really do this. And I'm praying it'll be a time where we really get to be present with each other as family. I'm praying it'll be a simpler time, one where we're at the dining tables and we're present with the conversations, that we can put away our phones. We've given away this specific weekend and time to be with each other. I'm praying that when we play together, when we're out in the field, that we'd be able to engage in the games. And I'm praying that we would be able to connect with the Lord as we take in the beautiful ocean and, and the scenery together. Another area that the Pharisees tried to control was the Sabbath. If you join me in Luke 6, they opposed Jesus again and again and again. In verse 1, it says this, that one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some of the heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. And so some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so at the time, at, during this time, there was a social law in place. This was to enable for the homeless or the hungry to eat. 
So it would require every single person that um, owned grain, as you will, a farmer, agriculture, to have the outskirts of their grain available for those to eat. It was a very common thing understood. But here uh, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of taking a grain, rubbing his hand, and just eating a kernel. They're accusing him as harvesting, as reaping, and as working on the Sabbath. And it just shows how hardened their hearts have become, that they would spend their Sabbath day, their day off from work uh, to rest and to enjoy the Lord. They're actually spending their Sabbath day following Jesus and others, holding them to a standard in law and trying to condemn them. And so when in reality, I think Jesus just wanted to fellowship. He was hungry. He just wanted to grab a snack with his disciples. And this was the legalism of the Pharisees of this day. They were so fixated on this rule, though. They were so filled with their self-righteousness um, that they were unable to see uh, the heart of Sabbath the whole time. And can you imagine your Sabbath day off, that if you guys were to leave this church uh, building right now, and you guys were to go down to the business buildings and peer inside, and you're looking for people that are working, and then you would go and call the cops and tell, and tell on them. That's essentially what the Pharisees are doing right now, is that they're narking on them, um, and uh, they've missed the whole part of focusing on Jesus, the heart of it. And I think about how this differs so much from what Jesus had in mind. That Sabbath wasn't built around restraining or controlling others, but was actually meant for people to enjoy. It was less about what we can't do and so much more about what we get to do with God. That we could be free and to fully devote and enjoy God and others. And so Sabbath was intended to be personal. There's two aspects that Jesus always intended with Sabbath. And the first one is personally. And I was gifted this uh, phrase from a brother about two months ago, and it has rocked my world. It's changed the way I've always seen Sabbath forever and ever. Um, even my wife says she can tell when I have Sabbath and when I haven't. And what he said was, is that I want you to think of a Sabbath as like Christmas. Like everyone knows when Christmas is. It's December 25th. Everyone knows they have it marked on their calendar. They're w looking forward to it. Kids can't sleep. They're pulling all-nighters. And they wake up at 5 a.m. and they're like looking to grab their first presents. And what my brother shared with me is what if we thought of Sabbath as like Christmas? That once a week that we're excited. We can't wait to rest from our work. We can't wait to be with Jesus. And it's not about what we don't get to do, but we get to do all these things that we enjoy with the Lord. We get to enjoy his creation. I think about Jesus, how on Sabbath, he's taking a stroll through the grain fields. I think about on our Sabbath day that we could take a walk through the park and that we can enjoy that. I think about Jesus just wanting a snack and meal with his friends. And in the same ways on our Sabbath days, we can enjoy our favorite restaurant and invite our family and friends to that too. And secondly, Sabbath was intended to be spent communally and with others in mind. It was to remind us of the kingdom and God's family at hand. It was to be a picture of this fellowship. It was to be a picture of this feast that was to await us in heaven. And let me show you this. Continuing in Luke 6, verse 9, it says that Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them, uh, he looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand, he did so, and his hand was completely restored. 
And so I think about this communal aspect to the Sabbath, that it was never meant to be this individual, personal only thing kept to myself, but it was always spent in community, opening up your door to your neighbors, seeing others, loving others. And so where the Pharisees would walk past this guy, just do a beeline straight past this guy uh, and miss others, Jesus says to do the opposite. That it, it, to do good and to save life uh, is good. And loving others and, and doing that with others reminds us of God the most. And so this is the fa- uh, difference between fasting and Sabbath as a work and fasting and Sabbath in a relationship. When we see it as an exercise or a box to be checked off, uh, we can become these accidental Pharisees, modern-day Pharisees. And, and I have a great example in my own life. I want to go to the next slide. You guys will like this story. Okay. So about 10 years ago, I had this holier-than-thou pact where I had no... Okay, I'll explain it. I'll explain it. I'll explain it. You guys can read faster than I can talk. Um, But what happened was is I was an accidental Pharisee, and I didn't even know that I had missed Jesus the whole time. And so we were strapping young men at the age of 19, and what we were doing is we were saying we're ready for our wives. All right, how do we get ready for them? All right, we reject everything else that isn't our wife. So that was the plan. We spit on our hands, we shook it, um, and us three brothers got together, and we came up on these undisputed laws of what it meant to be a Pharisee, (laughs) what it meant to be a Christian. And so rule number one, we weren't allowed to look at women below the neck. This is just common sense, right? You know what I mean? That is just so dangerous. And uh, going to school in Hawaii, when you're walking by people, it's very common to be wearing your bathing suit. So if we were to walk on by and we were to glance the other way, we would totally call out the brother and say, what are you doing, man? (laughs) Keep your head straight. So second rule is, is that we would say no texting women past 10 p.m. Because it can always wait for tomorrow. And any violations that would happen would result in the hardest punch that we could possibly fathom. So we would ripple to their core and shake the sin out of them. And so this was our Pharisee pact. And so sometimes our brothers would target one specific arm. So you just really bruise one side. So you feel it deeply. Uh, And then lastly, any mature content or self-indulgence meant one full day fast. And so um, I, I'm sad to admit, but sometimes legalism works for the beginning, in the, in the very beginning part. So we made it to 90 days. We made it to 90 days of just totally focusing on men. So that worked. Uh, that totally worked. We excelled at that. Just only acknowledge that men exist. Um, and I remember that there's this freshman And we're like, man, dude, what a great Pharisee recruit. Like, he's got all the makings of the next Pharisee. So he's, like, answering good Bible questions. He's faithful. He prays publicly. We're like, all right, this guy's totally fit to join the crew. So we invite him to the crew. He spits on his hand. He joins the pack. We say, welcome to the brotherhood. And um, what happens is the first three days, he slips up in a row. And we have to fast from food for three days. And so we're starving. We're angry. We're starting a separate group chat. We're talking. We're questioning if this guy was Pharisee material. We're at each other's throats. We're like, who let this guy in? And um, what happened was is we made a decision for our livelihood and our health to kick him out. (laughs) 
So we kicked him out of the crew. We said, man, for us to continue to exist, for us to eat food, we have to kick you out. Um, you, I'm sorry. We, we misjudged it. You weren't Pharisee material. Um, but <laughs> I look back at that, and um, I think about how in the moment I never knew that I was being an accidental Pharisee. In the moment, I was kind of wordsmithing. I was writing these strict laws where Jesus didn't impose. And I was trying to um, make myself cleaner and better by these works. That those 90 days was actually kind of a facade to make me think that I was holier than thou, that I was above other brothers, um, and that I was even clean or completely clean from sin. And what I learned is that when uh, Jesus meant by new wine being incompatible with old wineskins, is that I would draw lines like the Pharisees did, where Jesus and God never did, he never intended for. And it was really that these, these laws and these lines were always intended to show our need for the Lord. It was always intended to show that God was perfection, and it wasn't us. And so in the process of our purity pact of seeking out purity, we broke the greatest law of all by not loving our brother, that we actually sinned against our brother and we sinned against ourselves. And we struggle to see him as a brother who struggles with the same addiction that we do. And in our quest for purity, we, we miss Jesus in the whole process. And, and just like the Pharisees had missed Jesus at the dining table. And so now when I fast forward to my new um, purity pact in brotherhood at Renew in 2023, that we have eight or nine guys that have been walking together for, for two, three years ever since 2020. And now it's getting so big at our last meeting, we were saying that it's kind of a, it's almost a problem that we're getting too big. We keep letting so many people in because we want to walk with brothers, because they share in the same addictions and issues that we do. And so I'm just really praying as our church that we can um, kind of set aside these old Pharisee ways and that we can look to Jesus and think that he has a better way and see what he has for us. And so... Um, would you guys just join me in prayer? God, when I think about um, just the Pharisees, there's just a part of me that just feels um, I can see my flesh head to that same thing too. And God, we just contend and plead to you uh, and just looking to your way that is better, Lord. Help us to see that in our lives. And Lord, I just pray for our church family, Lord, that we would begin to walk in the ways of Jesus one that is marked by grace and mercy, one that is marked by um, our need for you, Lord. And I just pray that as a community that we can even hold each other accountable to a level, Lord, that how we can all fall susceptible to being an accidental Pharisee, Lord, but we could turn to your word, that we could submit ourselves um, under your authority, Lord, and we can begin to walk in a new way that is better, Lord, one that is incompatible with the legalism and the laws of the Pharisees, and one that is free, free to experience you, free to live in community, and free to love you more and more each day. We love you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series, and we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood. 
whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.